0: Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, with nationally known gerontologist Carol Zernio and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron. This program provides health, wellness, and other information for caregivers who are vital to the health and well-being of so many people across our country. Now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio.
1: We'd like to welcome you to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, flying solo. Carol Zernial, our co-host, is on special assignment. So we have the pleasure of monopolizing our guest time. Aaron Blight is joining us. He is an author, an international speaker, and a consultant. He's got his EDD, his doctorate in education, and his new book, When Caregiving Calls, Guidance as You Care for a Parent, Spouse, or Aging Relative. That book came out just last October, 2020. He's an international speaker and consultant on caregiving and aging and the founder of Caregiving Kinetics. He has been recognized as a top 100 healthcare leader by the International Forum on Advancements in Healthcare. And it's a pleasure to talk with you. His doctorate degree, by the way, is from George Washington University, where I got my uh, law degree. So we, I don't know that we were on campus at the same time. Maybe we not. both went to uh, what's a great university. It is a great university. Dr. Blight, it is great to have you join us. What got you interested in caregiving?
2: Well, like many people, I found myself in a family caregiving situation, and that really upended my life. It changed the course of my career and it changed the direction of our family. But um, that's what got me into it, and and I have stayed the course ever since then.
1: For whom were you caregiving?
2: It was my mother in law. I, at the time, we're going back to early, very early 2000, so 21 plus a little over 21 years ago, I was actually in the federal Medicaid program. I was writing national health care policy for elderly and disabled people, but um, Ron, if I'm being honest, I didn't really know much about what it meant to be elderly or disabled at that time. I was fairly Nobody young. Nobody did. <laughs> It might sound shocking that someone's writing national healthcare policy on a subject that they didn't really know a lot about, but, uh, that was, that was me at this time. And, and my mother-in-law was diagnosed with a brain tumor. It just came out of the blue, wow. totally unexpected. And she was given a very short time to live. Uh, the doctors urged her to have immediate brain surgery to remove the tumor. And if she survived the OR, and if the surgery was effective, they said she might live for six to nine months. She moved into our home shortly after the surgery, and she was supposed to stay in our home for two weeks to recover. And she stayed in our home for almost two years. She went through a second uh, brain surgery and radiation and chemotherapy while she was in our home. But she lived a total of five and a half years after that original
1: diagnosis. One tough lady.
2: She she definitely was a tough lady yeah. and lived far beyond the doctor's projections. They they actually wrote a case study about her. But she was also in a state of uh, steady cognitive decline for the rest of her life, and so we were family caregivers for five and a half years, and uh, it was a very um, difficult, challenging, protracted experience. But it led me to ultimately uh, leave. Medicaid and I became a provider of home care services and and then subsequently studied caregiving as a phenomenon of social science for my doctoral
1: degree. What did you discover about yourself as you got into caregiving?
2: <laughs> I discovered that I wasn't as patient as perhaps I thought I was. And you know, I didn't have any I was not prepared at all. For this, I was I was 29 years old when my mother in law moved in with us. So we were sandwich generation. We had three young children at the time, and I just didn't have any idea how to do it, how to be a caregiver. The extent of our analysis was mom needs help, so we're going to help her. But we didn't really um, know what that meant in our lives, and and really how to do it. And so I often felt very conflicted about my mother-in-law being in our home and conflicted about being in this caregiver role because, you know, I wanted, I, I, I never envisioned being in that position so young. You know, you have in the back of your mind that, oh, maybe you'll have to take care of your parents in the future someday. But I was focused on building my family and we had small children and had a career that was growing and Um, So on the one hand, I, if I'm being honest with you, Ron, I I kind of resented her being there, but then at the same time, I wanted her to be there. I mean, I loved my mother-in-law. She was a great mother-in-law. She treated me like a son from the moment that she met me. Um, So I wanted to be there for her. I wanted to, her to be in our home, but at the same time I resented the fact that she was in our home. So this kind of internal conflict is something that I, Struggled with on a daily basis.
1: Now, did you and your wife? Your wife's name is Jessica. Yes. Did you share the caregiving, or did it fall more on one and the other?
2: It definitely fell more on her because she was home, and uh, it was her mother, and she was involved in really all of the tasks of caregiving. I was kind of the nighttime reliever when I came home from from work. I was uh, helping with the evening activities and. Sometimes overnight activities to help my mother in law. I was trying to give Jessica a break, but she definitely uh, bore the lion's
1: share of the caregiving. Did you find yourself staying later and later at work?
2: <sighs> no, I I <laughs> didn't. I didn't do that. Although sometimes work did feel like a uh, a bit of a respite for me, and you know, a place where I could kind of get away from the the shadow of of terminal illness that was just cast upon our home.
1: It wasn't children. I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. They had children at the time, too. Uh, How did they deal with uh, the caregiving environment?
2: They were so young that they really didn't know much different. Our oldest was um, six, six and a half when when my mother-in-law moved in. And so most of their memories, if they have any memories today of their grandmother, it's, you know, when she had a bald head and was sick. My, my wife also became pregnant with our fourth child, and so she had um, wow, she went through her pregnancy and, and delivered our, our youngest while her mother was living in our home. So you know you had the caregiving for, for um, a parent and also the, the caring for young children going on at the same time.
1: You guys were like the great Walendas working without a net.
2: <laughs> I don't know. you know it, it just we just did it. And I think that's what uh, family caregivers do. They just find themselves in the situation and they just roll up their sleeves and they do it. And, and it's really, I think, largely motivated by love. Uh, there's also a certain uh, sense of duty and responsibility to your family. And those are also big motivating factors. It wasn't until I studied family caregiving later on in connection with my doctoral degree, that I really started to come to understand why I struggled so much as a family caregiver. And my research exposed me to a study from a couple of applied gerontologists, Rhonda Montgomery and Carl Kozlowski, who spent their careers studying family caregivers. And they developed a, a theory, family caregiver identity theory, which views family caregiving as a series of role-based transitions that are precipitated by the changing health conditions of the care receiver. And so if you think about the historic family relationship that you might have with your loved one, let's just use the example of a, of a parent and a, and, a, and an adult child.
1: All right Now hold that thought a minute. I want to let folks know who may have just joined us. They're listening to caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our very special guest, Dr. Aaron Blight, author and international speaker, a consultant. We're talking with him. He's been on before. You may have heard him about his new book, "When Caregiving." When caregiving calls, guidances you care for a parent, spouse, or aging relative. Carol Zerniel, our co-host, is on special assignment, and so it is Aaron and Ron handling this program today. And it's fascinating. Go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you, and in you talking about the uh, uh, two professors who uh, gave you real insight into caregiving
2: yeah so i discovered their research when i was uh, doing my literature review for my own doctoral dissertation and they describe family caregiving as basically a a change in roles that the family member must go through in order to continue providing services over the long trajectory of caregiving to a loved one. So you have your, your historic family relationship, for example, let's say it's a mother and a daughter and that mother has always had a singular role in your life. She's, she's uh, very special to you. And and your relationship with her is defined by the roles that you each play daughter, mother. And, uh, but when caregiving enters the picture you start to assume the role of caregiver, and that means that you're interacting with your mother in different ways. The way that you speak to your mother is different. The way that you think about your mother is different. The way that she thinks about you is different. And so the, the dynamics in that relationship change and the activities that you're involved in also change. And so you start to potentially ask yourself, who am I in this relationship? She's always been my mother. But now I'm more of a caregiver. And how does that affect our, our relationship together? So it can be a real struggle for families.
1: Let's talk a little bit about uh, the kind of advice and guidance that uh, you have in your book. And for folks who are listening, uh, we'll tell you how to get a hold of it. Uh, and it may be the kind of handbook that uh, those of us uh, uh, who may end up being a caregiver. And uh, as the saying goes, you'll either be a caregiver or a care recipient or both. Uh, over time. Uh, So Dr. Blythe, what, what kind of guidance do you give? And I assume part of that is what you learned from caregiving yourself, what you may have done differently.
2: Absolutely. So my book is called When Caregiving Calls, Guidance as You Care for a Parent, Spouse, or Aging Relative. And the book is divided up into 18 chapters. Each chapter covers a topic that is very common in family caregiving. And this could include uh, there are chapters on roles, relationships, family, stress, emotions, independence, uh, work, loneliness, home, faith, rewards. Oftentimes, um, there's not really a lot that's in the research about the rewards associated with caregiving. But family caregivers report extensive rewards from this type of service.
1: How much psychic income? (laughs)
2: <laughs> that's, uh, something that, you know, family caregivers find themselves doing all kinds of, uh, unexpected things.
1: If you've just joined us, stick with us. We're talking about caring and caregivers. Dr. Aaron Blight is with us. I'm Ron Aaron. Thanks for listening to Caregiver SOS on air. So pleased you're sticking with us right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, Carol Zernial, our co host on special assignment today. So it is just me and our guest, Dr. Aaron Blight. He's an author, an international speaker, and a consultant who uh, spent a whole lot of time dealing with caregiving. He was a caregiver for a period of time for his mother in law and then took a look back at it. And uh, in his PhD and his, his dissertation and his career, he now focuses on caregiving. So, uh, Dr. Blight, we were talking about in your book, the various chapters, 18 chapters, dealing with uh, 18 segments of caregiving. Uh, and, and as you look at it, as you tick those off, boy, they all make sense.
2: Yeah, they do. And, you know, I, I had the the opportunity to work with a lot of family caregivers when I owned my home care company. We serve thousands of families throughout the northern Shenandoah Valley, the eastern panhandle of West Virginia. And I found that each caregiving journey was unique, but at the same time, there were very common universal themes and challenges across all of the caregiving situations. So in when caregiving calls, I've really brought that kind of practical experience and shared some stories uh, with, um, of course, we've... Um, protected the, the privacy of all of the individuals, but shared some, ex- some experiences that I uh, personally witnessed or personally experienced myself in, in caregiving, coupled with, with some research and some data-driven information that can help family caregivers. But because my, my doctoral degree is in learning, um, that really also shaped uh, the format of the book, Because as I was writing, I kept thinking about family caregivers and what do they need to know? What are their challenges? And how could I write a book that could do maybe a little bit more than inform, but potentially transform them and their caregiving experience? And so each of those 18 chapters talks about a topic that's very germane in caregiving. But at the end of each chapter, there are questions for reflection, and they are designed to prompt the family caregiver to think about their individual situation and reflect on what they just read to identify how they might do things differently and perhaps be a little bit more proactive in caregiving. And uh, even they're invited to record in writing just their own reflections. We know from adult learning research that intentional reflection can open the door to learning and to transformation And so that's what these questions are designed to do. Um, And I I mentioned, uh, I was with a group from New Hampshire not too long ago and a woman who read the book and she said that she had been a caregiver for her mother for 14 years and now caring for her husband for six years ongoing. And she uh, engaged in this reflective process, reading the book and writing her answers to the questions. And she said that this was the most uh, educational illuminating thing that she had done ever in caregiving. And she didn't want to share anything that she had written, Ah. which is fine. These are very personal matters, but um, I was really happy to hear how profoundly moved and affected she was by that process.
1: What are some of the questions? Give us an example of two of, of what they are and how they pique people's interest as he reaches back for the book. That's great.
2: (laughs) I will. Uh, I'll read a most people to
1: listening you. aren't old enough to remember this, but that movement you just made is that very famous picture of Rosemary Woods in the White House reaching for the Nixon tapes, demonstrating how she may have <laughs> accidentally uh, erased that segment in the tape. <laughs> so that was good. I hadn't seen that move in a long time.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, um, so each chapter has anywhere from three to five questions. Um, So I'll just, oh, I just opened to the stress chapter. And one question here is, how would you rate your general overall sense of stress on a scale of zero, none to 10, extremely high? And then how much has caregiving increased the stress level in your life? And then what are your greatest causes of stress as a caregiver? What would need to change for the impact of these stressors to be reduced for you? There's a chapter on time in the book, and um, a lot of times people don't going into caregiving. They don't realize how much time is implicated in caregiving.
1: Yeah, like twenty-four-seven.
2: Yeah, and so there are some strategies that are recommended for caregivers to be able to manage their time better. It's interesting, Ron, that um, as I since writing the book and publishing the book, I've been out and talked to some different groups and. The the chapter that seems to resonate with each individual caregiver, it varies so much. You know, some of them say, oh, the stress chapter was great or the relationship chapter or the loneliness chapter or the emotions chapter. And so it, it just strikes me that family caregivers are all going through challenges and, um, you just never know which 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 chapter or which issue is affecting them right now. So it's important to really meet caregivers where they are and offer the support that they need in the moment.
1: We do a segment, uh, a separate program called Take 10, in which uh, Carol Zernial, our co-host, and I, and Dr. Jamie Heisman, a nationally known psychotherapist and expert on caregiving, we throw out an issue and talk about it. And, and one we did recently was... Can you say no to caregiving? I don't want to do it. I can't do it. And I mentioned that I just saw uh, uh, the Academy Award winning performance by Anthony Hopkins in The Father, a very powerful and very depressing movie. And in one scene, his daughter, who is his caregiver, uh, is doing the I can't do this. I need out. I don't want to be here. He needs to be in an institution. Now, you don't really know if he's imagining that or she's actually thinking that. But I, I believe some caregivers do reach that point, do they not? Where I want out of here.
2: They absolutely do, Ron. And uh, I'm glad you mentioned that movie. I, I've seen the trailer for it and a couple of clips of it. I, I want to see the film. I haven't seen it yet. It looks it bring looks, a lot of Kleenex. Uh, <laughs> I will and it's great to see Anthony Hopkins win that academy award I'm, I'm sure it was well deserved but you know i think that one of the the overarching messages in when caregiving calls is that there's no judgment here because when it comes to family caregiving it's not only about the the condition of your loved one and the services and supports that your loved one needs it's also about your capacity to do that, your capacity to deliver on those requirements. And you may or may not have the capacity to meet your loved one's needs, and that's okay if you can't. As, as those needs increase and grow, it can become overwhelming for a single person to do everything that a care receiver requires. And so if you find yourself in a position that you need to outsource caregiving, that's okay. It might be one of the most gut-wrenching, heartbreaking decisions that you've ever made in your life, or it could be really, really easy. But either way, there should be no judgment because, you know, we haven't walked in your shoes, and it really is that, that you know, people think about, oh, why, why would you put your loved one into a facility? A lot of it is about your capacity to do what needs to be done, and it can be overwhelming.
1: But we both know that so many caregivers... Don't ask for help. Yes, they should, but they don't.
2: That's right. Some, some family caregivers believe that it's a sign of weakness to ask for help, or they believe that they must shoulder the caregiving responsibility alone because it's part of their family responsibility. And, you know, that's just not true. It can become overwhelming to be, meet the demands of a person who is sick, aging, disabled, dying. Um, when those needs increase to, to the point of being 24-7 or even, you know, as they increase um, close to that, it just is a lot for one single person to do. And, my, mom, um,
1: my mom cared for my dad who had dementia. Uh, and at uh, a couple of points, we my brother and I offered to get her help. Uh, and, And her answer was always the same. I took seriously in sickness and in health when we got married, and I will do this. I don't need help. Well, she did need help, but wouldn't accept it.
2: Yes. And with spousal caregivers, they are much more likely to continue in that caregiving role for the duration uh, especially when compared to adult children. Adult children tend to have a getting-off point that's a little bit earlier in the process than spouses because of what you just said. Your, you know, right. your mother viewed that, uh, that covenant and promise that she made to be something that was lifelong.
1: It only ended when my dad died of a cerebral hemorrhage,
2: mm.
1: and, um, uh, which was a blessing in many ways because uh, he, there was nothing left except his body and, and his mind was long gone. Uh, But she was there to the very end.
2: Well, that says something about her. Undoubtedly, your father was very blessed and lucky to have her. And I'm sure that was also difficult for you and and the rest of the family to to observe, to watch her with probably some of her own health challenges to be trying to care for him.
1: Well, they had an incredible marriage. um, And until he developed uh, a dementia, there was never a crossword between them. But one of the phases in dementia is when he went through the angry phase and uh, uh, would yell at her, uh, which, of course, was so different. But she never took it personally. Uh, and I'm sure in your book you talk about don't take that personally.
2: Yeah, when when you're able to recognize that think, lashing out and things like that, that that's a result of the illness, it's not the person who's willfully yelling and being angry, then, then it's a little bit easier to take it on the chin.
1: Now, we are flat out of time. How can folks get a hold of your book?
2: So, When Caregiving Calls is available anywhere that books are sold online, or you can get it through a brick-and-mortar bookstore, and I'm really excited to share that the audiobook was just released as well. So, some of your listeners may prefer listening to reading, and you can also download the audiobook from Amazon.
1: Did you do the audio?
2: I did. Cool. <laughs> I wasn't cool. sure. I wasn't sure if I was going to do it, but <laughs> um, the the recording engineer convinced me, and I'm really glad that I did at this point.
1: Yeah, who better than you? That's great. I got to stop you right here. I thank you so much for joining us, Aaron Blight, international speaker, consultant, author, and uh, we look forward to talking with you again. Thank Take you, care. Ron. Bye bye. Thanks for joining us on Caregiver SOS On Air for Carol Zerniel. I'm Ron Aaron. We'll talk with you soon. Bye bye.